So I have a question for you. How many of you have been psychoanalyzed by someone before? So from the show of hands, I just got most of you being psychoanalyzed at some point. How many of you have found that really annoying? I, I personally, I, I've had people try and psychoanalyze me. Like they kind of try and get in your head and they're like, why does he do that? Why does he do that? It's probably something from his childhood. Maybe it's from this thing that happened. Oh, I hate that. I really do. Like it's really, really, really annoying when people do that. All right? But we're going to do that today with Pharaoh. We're going to psychoanalyze Pharaoh. So um, I'm, I'm working with the assumption that you've already read the parasha, that you've given it some thought this week. That's the way we work, right? Hopefully we're all on the same page when we come here on Shabbat. So maybe you can just shout out to me some, some descriptors, whether it be just a word or phrase that would describe Pharaoh in this story from this parasha. Eccentric? Egocentric. A control freak. Stubborn. He's afraid of losing his free work and labor. Afraid of losing his free labor. Insecure. Insecure. Doing what God put him there to do. Did not a man of his word. Wasn't a man of his word. Hard hearted. Selfish. Selfish. Bitter? Maybe his, maybe his gods controlled him. Maybe his gods controlled him. You could probably say demonically influenced. Maybe a little bit not so clever. What's that? Maybe a little bit not so clever. Maybe a little bit not so clever, yeah. Well, we're, we, I, I, we're not going to like review Pharaoh's childhood and all of the pertinent details and stuff, except to say when you're raised to believe that you're a god, you probably will end up behaving a little bit like Pharaoh, um, even when you encounter the one true Elohim. So that's um, something that really jumped out at me. Uh, what you had said, Mike, like Pharaoh had some control issues. He was a control freak. Um, also what you said, Lois, uh, Pharaoh was not a man of his word. Did you notice that he was so, you just couldn't pin the guy down. Like he was so wishy-washy. He would, he, would, he would bargain and he would negotiate. And then when they settled on terms, he would go back on it. Or he wouldn't follow through with his word. And he did that over and over again. Um, this, is, this is some of the pictures that you get of this guy. He's just not holding his end of the, the deal up. And uh, I want to look with you at Pharaoh as kind of a personality type that I have inside of me, that maybe you have inside of you. And it's going to be really fun. Uh, I, this is going to be more of a talk, like kind of on a more personal level. We're going to think more about some spiritual stuff here and the process that Yeshua has each one of us in. So it'll, if, if you could sum it up by saying this would be about like Pharaoh, the little control freak that's me, and the hammer fist of the cross. If you know what a hammer fist um, uh, is in like martial arts and things, then that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the sages of the early Yeshua movement, a man whose Hebrew name was Shaul, and whose Greek name was Paul or Polos, he, uh, he talked about this, this thing called the old man and the new man. Um, the Greek word that he used was anthropos. Everybody say anthropos. Can you think of any words that we have in English from that word? Anthropology. What is anthropology? The study of people, human beings, that's correct. So anthropos is like a, a person or a human being, man, if you want to use the uh, 
pre-gender sensitive regime term, then you would say man. Um, that's the idea there. And um, can anyone guess what the Hebrew parallel to the Greek anthropos is? Adam, that's correct. Everybody say Adam. So Adam means everybody on the planet descended from him, a human being in, in general. Okay, I'm just going to read to you a little summary of two passages in Shaul's letters where he talks about this old Adam, new Adam concept. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24, I'll sum it up for you. He says, take off, take off the, the old person and put on the new person. The old person is being corrupted by deceitful lusts. So the stuff that you want, stuff that you lust after, but it, it'll trick you, and it'll mess you up, and it'll corrupt you inside and turn your heart into rot. That's the idea. That's what the old person does. Then he says, the new person has been created in Elohim, in God, and is righteous, holy, and true. So that's what he has to say about the old person, a new person, in his letter to a community of disciples of Yeshua in the city of Ephesus. To another city, Colossae, he writes this in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, guys, stop lying to each other. Don't lie to each other. And this is why. Because you took off the old person and its practices, and you put on the new person. And the new person is in God's image who created it. The new person is someone who speaks the truth. I really love that. Paul, Paul um, before he talked about behavior, what we do, he talked about identity, who you are. So he said, guys, this is, this is who you are. So stop lying to each other, because that's not who you really are in Yeshua. Um, you could say that like the old person, the old person has a mindset, a way of thinking. The old person has like a worldview, a way of looking at the world, a perspective. The old person has like a, uh, a lifestyle too, like a set of practices. Actually, Paul even mentioned that the, the old, he, he said in Colossians, you took off the old person and its practices. Um, there's another set of terms that Shaul used to describe this. He talked about the mind of the flesh. Everybody say, mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Everybody say, mind of the spirit. So when Paul is talking about flesh, that's the same word for meat. It's basically what you are without the spirit. As an unspiritual human being, you're like a living chunk of meat running around, acting like an animal, sometimes a very cultured, sophisticated, sophisticated animal, but animal nonetheless. And um, that he would call that the mind of the flesh. That's how you think when you're not thinking with Elohim's thoughts. And then the mind of the spirit, that's like when you're in the spirit, when you're thinking spiritually, when you have a spiritual outlook. That's kind of the idea there. And I'll read to you a passage um, where Shaul describes these two mindsets. One is from the old person and one is from the new person. This is like in his magnum opus epistle to uh, the Yeshua's um, disciples in Rome. Chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. He says, The mindset on the flesh is death. Say death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and shalom. Say life and shalom. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward Elohim. It's like the mindset on the flesh is like, I hate your guts. I'm your enemy. For it doesn't subject itself to the law of God, to Elohim's Torah. Did you get that? The mind of the flesh is hostile to God and it can't submit to God's Torah. For it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please Elohim. 
Um, Yeshua's brother Yaakov also talked about two different kinds of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is something we all need at times. Sometimes we go to a friend for, for wisdom, let's say for advice or whatever. Um, our world needs wisdom. We're looking for wisdom in this world. It's like uh, it's an operating principle. And this is what Yaakov said. He said there are two different kinds of wisdom in the, the epistle of James, chapter 3, verse 15. He mentioned one that comes from the self. Um, something that's like self-oriented. And he said, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. So firstly, did you hear that? There's a wisdom that comes down from above, and it's the wisdom that the new person operates in. But then he goes on to say, this other wisdom of the old person is three things. Let's count them together. Earthly, say earthly. earthly. Natural. Natural. Demonic. So did you hear that? Yaakov, Yeshua's brother, who is another one of the sages of the early Yeshua movement, he says, when you're operating in the old person, when you're thinking in the mind of the flesh, when you're just, when you have that wisdom that comes from you, he says it's natural. So it's not spiritual, it's thinking and operating on a natural plane. It's not in touch with the power of the gospel or anything else. Then he says it's, um, oh sorry, he says earthly, same thing. Natural there, the Greek word is the same word for soul. Uh, Sukikos is what it is there. So he says, the wisdom from a blow is, is soulish wisdom. There's a big difference between your soul, you as a person, and your spirit, which is like the part of you that is intimately linked with Yeshua, that is, is like one with Elohim, right? So he says, there's a wisdom that you can operate in in the old person, and it's not just like operating on a natural level. It's not just stuff that you get out of your own head that's like soulish. He says it's also demonic. That's a really strong word. Like demonic means that whole, that whole host that Satan is the leader of. All of the evil spirits in the world that are out to like destroy humanity. That are out to trash the planet. That are out to deceive everybody into worshiping them instead of the creator of the universe. That wisdom is demonic. It's under the influence of demons. So when we operate in that wisdom, Yaakov is saying, you will, be sus you will be susceptible to demonic influence. You will be susceptible to even giving demonic counsel to other people or like really, really destructive advice, dark advice to friends, um, that kind of thing. So that's what Yaakov has to say. So let's just, let's just sum up that concept. Um, let's start with the new person. The new person, to sum up those scriptures we read, is like Yeshua, has Yeshua's nature. Why? Because Yeshua is like the ultimate image of the Father. Like Yeshua is like the portrait of the Father. The, he's not just a snapshot. He's like the living human being um, expression of the Father. eh? And um, the new person, same thing. It's like you're a, you're a portrait of the Father. A walking portrait of the Father. Um, the new person pleases Elohim. So when the Creator looks at someone who's like the new person, he's like, I really like that. Like, you make me happy. Like, you just bring pleasure to my heart. That kind of thing. Um, also, um, he says here, it, alive and life-giving. The new person is alive and life-giving. Uh, the new person has peace or shalom. And the new person is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's, like, that's kind of like a snapshot profile of the new person that uh, we become through the gospel that we're becoming. Okay, the old person, let's do a snapshot profile, summarize those passages from Paul about the old person. The old person um, has that nature from Adam, um, is corrupt. Let's just repeat these back to me. Corrupt, dead, hostile to God in his Torah, 
unable to please God and demonically influenced. You could probably paraphrase that by saying like satanically controlled. Um, here's something interesting. Martin Luther once said that religion is the default mode of the human heart. So you know what? The old person that like hates the Creator's guts, that cannot submit to His authority, that is totally corrupt, that is demonically influenced, can also be very religious. Um, I'll share with you a personal observation of mine. Remember how way, 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 way back when one of our grandparents like ate some fruit from a tree and it just messed us all up royally? And it was the fruit of the, what? The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Did you hear that? It wasn't just the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was good and evil. Um, something that I would observe in the human race as a result is we're spiritually dead, but we seem to either track towards the good side or the evil side, but we're all still spiritually dead because we ate from that tree. So some people will tend towards lawlessness and other people will tend towards legalism, but it's all the old person. It's all spiritually dead. It's all, all of that garbage that Paul just described. So, you know, some people will tend towards lawlessness and, you know, it's kind of like the party scene, get out every weekend, um, get hammered and act like an animal. That's lawlessness. The flip side, though, of the old person is like trying to be good. Maybe having a set of rules, being legalistic, having a religion, having our religious, religious rituals. That can be the old person just as much. And if you come from, let's say, a religious background, see evangelical, you'll kind of have this stigma attached to the people who go out and get hammered and have parties and live like animals, but sometimes you won't have that same stigma attached to people who just have a religion and are spiritually dead or who are operating in the old person. So it's a very frightening thing. Um, Pharaoh is a great picture of the old person. Control freak, right? A lot of these things that we just described, that's Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh, and like anybody else in human history, like, name some of the villains of human history to me. Huh? Herod. Herod. Nero. Nero. Pharaoh. Hitler. Pharaoh. Caesar. Constantine. Constantine. Hmm? Archelaus. Lady Gaga? Just kidding. Um, name them. There are lots of villains of varying um, shapes and sorts and colors, eh? But um, all of those guys were the old person. All of those guys were operating in the old nature that they got from Adam, eh? This is kind of like psychoanalytical talk here, right? But it's, 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 it's really important because without this, we can't understand the way people in the universe work. And you won't be able to understand the way you work and the way the people in your family and your community work. So it's like, this is pretty important to know if you're going to be able to understand, like, people. And I mean, we all kind of have some people in our lives, you know, so it's kind of helpful to be able to understand a little bit of this. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of Pharaoh being, like, kind of the, the old nature guy. Uh, remember when Moses, the prophet, was first sent to Pharaoh? What was Pharaoh's first response? He was like, Yahweh? Who's that? I don't know, Yahweh. And I'm not letting you go. Is essentially what he said, eh? That's the old nature. The old person says, I don't know Yahweh. I cannot recognize him. I am the king. I am God. And I have room for no one else. So get out of my face. It is essentially, that's what the old person says when you have, let's say, a prophet come to you or someone speaking um, the, the truth. 
Um, and you know what? That's me. That's everybody in the old person. Like, I'm the king. I am God. Don't mess with me. Don't tell me what to do. That's, that's the idea, eh? I'm like a little pharaoh. Every one of us is a little pharaoh because we all come from the same parents way back when. And we all have that same nature apart from the grace of God, apart from the power of the gospel. And we'll get into that in a second. I think maybe that's why, um, you remember that story in the gospel of uh, Yochanan where Yeshua is in Jerusalem or somewhere and uh, one of the sages of the Jewish world comes to him at night. He comes sneaking over to him, you know, tip-topping, tiptoeing along. I know, I kind of have this picture of them talking, talking on the rooftop. I think it must be a Jesus movie or something. But anyway, and he says like, like Rabbi, you know, we, we know that you, you've come from God because, I mean, you just can't do this stuff unless you've come from God. Ah, uh, and he has some questions. And Yeshua just cuts right to the point and he says, Nicodemus, you have to be reborn. And it's like this big thing that totally doesn't fit into his box, eh? And it's really huge. Like, Yeshua doesn't say to Nicodemus, yeah, Nicodemus, you know what you need to do is memorize the Torah. Oh, never mind, sorry, you already did that. You need to quote the Torah more often. Oh, never mind, you're doing that all the time, you're a teacher. You need to, you need to practice the Torah in your life more. Oh, never mind, you're already a Pharisee. I mean, you know, this is huge. Yeshua didn't say to Nicodemus, a seeker, okay, you know, basically just do the Torah and you'll be okay. He said, Nicodemus, you need to like go all the way back and start over again. You need to be like reborn as a new person. So could you hear that? Yeshua, Yeshua didn't work with Nicodemus' old person. He didn't work with who Nicodemus was on a religious level. He said, you're going to have to go back and start again from square one. It's like being reborn. Huge. And uh, the cool thing is, that's only something that Yahweh can do in a person's life. Like, I can be religious. I can do behavior modification. I can try and change the way I think. But I cannot cause myself to be regenerated. I can't be reborn from above, eh? Just like I was born from my mom. I didn't have a lot of say in that either. It wasn't very fun. I came out screaming, you know. It's like, I don't want this to be happening. It's like that with the second birth too, maybe to some degree. Like it's an act of the Almighty. Oh. I, I want to I wanna read to you a, a page from uh, George Fox's journal. I, re I read to you uh, a page from his journal a couple weeks ago and uh, kind of gave you a little overview. He was like, a, he was a radical disciple of Yeshua in England in the 1600s. He started a movement that became known as the Quaker movement, a fascinating movement. They, they left the institutional church. They saw the whole thing, whether it be Catholic or Protestant, as like Mystery Babylon, all that stuff from the book of Revelation. And they were gathering in homes. And it was, it was really fascinating to read about the Quakers because they were very deep spiritually, but they also operated in the power of God to a very high degree. And they really changed society. I mean, prison reform, the abolition of slavery, uh, with a lot of societal reforms, the, the Quakers had their fingers in all of those pies. So I, I want to read to you a little... Um, a little quote from George Fox about that whole concept of like natures and how often we'll look at let's say these villains of history and be like oh those are bad dudes those are really bad dudes but sometimes we don't like kind of be like and so am I kind of thing he says um and I, I saw the state of both priests and people who in reading the scriptures cry out much against Cain Esau and Judas and other wicked men of former times mentioned in the holy scriptures but do not see the nature of Cain, Esau, and Judas, and those others in themselves. And these said it was they, they, they that were the bad people, putting it off from themselves. 
But when some of these came with the light and spirit of truth to see into themselves, then they came to say, I, I, I. It is I myself that have been the Ishmael and the Esau, etc. For then they came to see the nature of wild Ishmael in themselves, the nature of Cain, of Esau, of Korah, of Balaam, and of the son of perdition in themselves, sitting above all that is called God in them. So I saw it was the fallen man that was got up into the scriptures and was finding fault with those before mentioned and with the backsliding Jews calling them the sturdy oaks and tall cedars and fat bulls of Bashan, wild heifers, vipers, serpents, etc. And charging them that it was they that closed their eyes and stopped their ears and hardened their hearts and was dull of hearing and that it was they that hated the light and rebelled against it and that quenched the spirit and vexed and grieved it and walked despitefully against the spirit of grace and turned the grace of God into wantonness and that it was they that resisted the Holy Ghost and they that got the form of godliness and turned against the power and that they were the inwardly ravening wolves that had got the sheep's clothing and that they were the wells without water, and clouds without rain, and trees without fruit, etc. But when these, who were so much taken up with finding fault with others, and thought themselves clear from these things, came to look into themselves, and with the light of Christ thoroughly, to search themselves, they might see enough of this in themselves. And then the cry could not be, it is he or they, as before, but rather, I and we, are found in these conditions. That's old English. It's very, you know, it's, it's pretty classic old English. So did, did you kind of catch the point of what he was saying there? He was saying, we look at all the villains of history and we look at our neighbor down the street or we look at the person that just really annoys us and we say, that person has problems. That person is wicked. And we forget that that person is you because you have the same nature apart from the gospel changing you. And so... There's this transition from going to talking about them, them, them to talking about I, I, I. When, we, when the light of Messiah shines on me and I see my own filthy heart for what it is and I see that I'm Pharaoh, I'm the little control freak, I am the one who refuses to listen to the voice of the Holy One. Like, I am the person who did everything wicked in the scriptures. That kind of idea, eh? And I mean, when you begin to look at humanity through that perspective, through the old person and the new person, Everybody's on the level, on level ground. Doesn't matter if they're lawless or legalistic or whatever they are. We're all on um, equal footing. So that's, that's kind of like an analysis of humanity. Uh, let's look now at the, something a little more practical. So it's kind of like, that's where we all start, eh? We all start as the old person. And um, then there's this process where Yeshua changes us. And he kind of gets the old person out of us and kind of, starts to kill Pharaoh inside each one of us, and we begin to change and we're becoming more like Yeshua, eh? That whole process. And I think this is really important to talk about because, quite frankly, I don't think the concept of this process where Yeshua is changing us gets enough airtime. Often it's like, hey, you know what? I prayed the sinner's prayer. I go to church now. I read the Bible a bit every day and I tithe and I'm pretty much good to go. And, and basically what that often boils down to is behavior modification. It's like, okay, you got salvation, do these couple little things, and you know, you'll be okay for the rest of your life. You're a Christian now. And unfortunately, that doesn't prepare new believers for what they're going to encounter. Um, I would say like this, like, the fall is highly underestimated. Like, the fall of humanity into a, a depraved state, into the old person, into like being so wicked, I don't think we realize how, how deep those roots go. 
I don't think we realize like how deep the rabbit hole goes to use that expression. It's not just say a prayer and you're going to be okay. Like after that, God is going to go on the war path against the old person in every one of us. And he's going to root him out. And he's going to change us to be like Yeshua. And quite frankly, that is traumatic for most people, especially if they're not expecting it. If you just think you're going to be a Christian and God's going to bless you and you're going to have a fat paycheck and you're going to be happy, like... Maybe you will be happy. Maybe you will have a fat paycheck. But you're also going to go through some times where God is really going to like smash the Pharaoh inside of you. And he's going to change you. And it's going to be tough. And it's going to hurt. And you're barely going to get through. In fact, you as you are are not going to get through. By the time you're done the journey, you're going to be a new person. And that's the, that's the side of things that often we don't tell new believers. And so what happens? They receive the gospel. They have the honeymoon phase. It's great. And then they start to experience the cross and they totally weren't prepared for it and so they crumple and they just give up because apparently God failed them. Or they encounter interpersonal conflict maybe in their new faith community and what happens? Instead of learning what the cross is all about and how the Father uses that to change us and to kill Pharaoh in us, they just start pointing fingers and blaming and getting into fights. That's um, often what happens. You either crumple or you go into conflict. And um, that's why I think this is really important. And we are in a transition right now where we are going to be breaking down as a community into a new format. We're going to be doing smaller groups, and it is going to be messy. Because when you're in a setting like this, you can come and you can hide your mess for two hours. But when you do life with your community, let's say when you gather in a home in a small group, and you don't have a guide to lead it from the front, then all your mess is going to come up. And that's why this is really, really important. Okay, So like this is a preparatory talk I'm giving. We need to know about this stuff because we're going to experience this to a new degree. And new disciples that come into our midst are going to experience it also. Um, let's kind of let's use this as a picture here. Um, let's say like over here is Pharaoh's kingdom, eh? And uh, if you were to like describe... Pharaoh's kingdom, which is kind of like the old person. It's where we all come from, both as individuals and as communities. It's very possible for whole churches or synagogues to be under Pharaoh's kingdom, to be operating in the old person, and to not even know it because we're religious and because we have a form of godliness. It's very possible. Okay, so let's, this is how I would describe Pharaoh's kingdom. Like, um, you could say um, Pharaoh's kingdom, just to sum it up, is like, it's generally, it's all about you or it's all about us. A very self-oriented or humanistic. Um, it's like usually a complicated man-made system. Um, it's usually all about control, performance, and it produces a lot of stress. That's Pharaoh's kingdom. Um, if you were to like kind of contrast Pharaoh's kingdom with Yeshua's kingdom, Yeshua's kingdom over here which is pictured by like Yahweh bringing his people out of Egypt and bringing them into the wilderness and ultimately to the land of Israel. Um, Yeshua's kingdom, you could say, it's all about him. It's not about you or us, it's about him. It's simple and not instead of complicated. It, it, it's like something that will happen relatively naturally as compared to something that's like really complex and man-made. And... Um, yeah, it's kind of like the wilderness. Like, you know, you go to the wilderness and it's just simple and it's natural and it's peaceful. That's probably the last thing you could say about Yeshua's kingdom. Like, Yeshua's kingdom is all about freedom. There's freedom there. And in Yeshua's kingdom, instead of having, like, control, performance, stress, you have life and you have shalom. 
I think that's how you could contrast the two. And um, this whole process between the old person and the new person, um, there's a clue in this parsha to how it happens. There's this little time frame given, and I didn't realize this, but it's actually given three times. In um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, 5 verse 3, and 8 verse 27, Moses says exactly how many days buffer zone they want between Israel and Pharaoh and his little control world. How many days? Three. We want to go three days journey. Why did they say that? Because like seriously, they did not go a three days journey into the wilderness. They kept going and going all the way through the Sea of Reeds and all around in the wilderness and finally to the land of Israel. Like, that was not a three days journey. So why did he say that? Okay. Yeah. That's how long it takes to cut ties. Yeah. That could be. Um, yeah, that's true. That's how long Yeshua was in the grave for. I mean, when you hear the phrase, let's say, three days and three nights, what do you think of? Yeah, you either think about Yeshua being buried and then being raised from the door, or you think about Jonah, maybe, being almost becoming a fish's lunch. Um, yes? Right. Actually, I'll, I'll read that here, that verse that you suggested. It's a similar typology for Christ. Absolutely. Here's the passage Genevieve was referencing, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Come, let's return to Yahweh, for he's torn us, but he'll heal us. He's wounded us, but he'll bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So the concept of three days is definitely a picture of Yeshua being in the grave for three days, and it's also a picture of new life, of resuscitation through the power of the gospel, of, of resurrection in general. So, did you, see, did you hear that? That's, that's the journey. That is the difference between Pharaoh's kingdom over here, the old person, and Yeshua's kingdom over here, the new person. There's that three days that is a picture of Yeshua's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Um, you know, I want to kind of talk about like where the rubber meets the road about that. Um, I think often you would call it the cross. Uh, there's, there's, the, you know, there's, there's some, there's, there's a lot of angst in the Jewish world about the concept of the cross, and rightly so, because Yeshua has been horrifically misrepresented by, you know, the so-called Christian world. Of course, a lot of them were false Christians. Um, the cross has been an icon for uh, a lot of torture, of literal torture of Jewish people and Jewish people being killed and things like the Catholic Inquisition. So, you know, I, I understand that angst, but at the same time. Um, I think there's a point where we have to say, okay, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about the method of execution by which Mashiach died. It was a cross. And um, at the end of the Gospel of Yochanan, um, Yeshua is prophesying to um, Simon Peter, and he says, they're going to stretch out your hands. And that was how he prophesied that he'd be crucified. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the concept of crucifixion being where your hands are stretched out and you're nailed up. It's in the Gospel of John. It's a Hebrew idiom for crucifixion. So anyway... Um, yeah, just hold that thought about the cross. When you look at how, let's say like Yahweh saw his people under Pharaoh's thumb and he wanted to set him free, get him out from the old person, what did he do? He like, he came in aggressively, he came in directly, and he came in forcibly, and um, if you were to like kind of describe it in fight terms, it's like he delivered a series of hammer fists to Pharaoh's face. If, if you can imagine just like, 
boom, 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 over and over again, like right into Pharaoh's face. Like Pharaoh needed serious facial reconstructive surgery after the creator of the universe was through with him because he just wouldn't bend. Eh? And um, that's, what, that's what Yahweh had to do to break Pharaoh's power and bring his people out. And guess what Yahweh has to do to the old person inside of you sometimes to break the control freak inside of you and set you free? Sometimes he has to come in and he has to deliver a series of well-placed hammer fist blows to the old you until you just, the old you just cracks, you just break, you just let go. And then you know what? Who you really are can go free. And you can go with Yeshua into, shall we say, the wilderness. Yeah. And that just does, doesn't just happen to individuals. That can happen to families. That can happen to whole congregations of people if they actually make it through that process. Um, I, I, I would call that the cross in, 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 in our experience. I, I would call it the cross. Um, they're kind of like, they're kind of two sides to the cross, eh? There's like the historical objective side. Everybody say historical objective. And um, Shaul talked about that in Romans chapter 6. He basically said, when Yeshua died, because who you are, because who you are is one with him, because you've been immersed into who he is, when Yeshua died, you died with him. Historically, objectively, the old you died. That's what, that's what Shaul said in Romans 6. That's why immersion is so important, to be immersed in water by your own choice because it's a picture of your union with Yeshua. I think that's probably why, why the whole concept of baptism in water as an adult has been so hotly contested. Also, why um, some of the more state religions literally killed people over it because it's such a powerful symbol of our union with Messiah. So there is that side. However... Is that always our experience? Do you always experience like, oh yeah, you know, the old me died with Yeshua and I just don't have to deal with that anymore? No, we're just not there. Why? Because there's this other side of the cross that I would call the subjective experiential side. So this side of the cross that is like objective and historical, it happened in time. And then there's this subjective side where Yeshua says, come follow me today. And it's gonna be really tough. Take up your cross because you're going to die. Something in you has to die. That's like, that's the subjective side, eh? And uh, I would suggest to you that the subjective side of the cross happens in two ways. Sometimes it's by our choice, and sometimes it's by his choice. Um, one passage that talks about experiencing the cross by our choice is um, Paul's letter to the believers in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So did you hear that? That's something you do. And on a really practical level, it kind of looks like this. When you're studying the Word and you see that God said, don't do that, crucifying the flesh means you stop doing that. I love how simple it is. Isn't that nice? Or if you, you're, you're reading the Word and God says, do this, and you realize I'm not doing that, then you crucify the flesh because your flesh is so lazy, your flesh never wants to change, your flesh just wants to keep doing things the way it always has, so you say, I'm just going to crucify my flesh and I'm going to change and I'm going to start doing this new habit that he said to do by, the pow by his power. That's, kind of, that's the side where, some, where we get to crucify our flesh. It's like, die, baby! You know, it's like, be ruthless with Pharaoh, that little control freak inside of you, be ruthless with him, be brutal with him, just say, you're going to die and I'm going to do what he said and I'm going to follow Yeshua even if it hurts. Um, that's the one side. The other side is sometimes... Pharaoh is so, like, he's so controlling, and he's so crafty, 
that you will have a really hard time dealing with them on your own because you just won't want to. And at times like that, the Father, in his love for us, sends the cross into our lives and he goes about delivering the hammer fist blows to the face of the Pharaoh inside each one of us. And um, that's the part that I think often as believers we're just not psychologically or emotionally prepared for. Um, remember Herod? Herod was like a Pharaoh type, right? He was so crafty. Like you could not get him off the throne. He, he lived a very long life and he killed a lot of people to stay on the throne. And that's like, that's like the old person, eh? Like Pharaoh, like Herod. He's like, I'm staying on the throne. I'm crafty and I'm going to find ways to stay in control. And um, that's when the Father will send the cross into our life. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you like the two ways that I've observed. Usually the Father will send the cross into your life and deliver that hammer fist to Pharaoh, even when you don't want it to happen because he loves you. So he's going to do things that you don't like sometimes or that you don't want to happen. It'll either be through crisis or conflict. So you will either have a crisis in your life a personal crisis, maybe it's a health crisis, maybe it's a financial crisis, maybe it's a midlife crisis, I don't know, you name it, right? Often a crisis will be the way that the Father is setting you free from the old you. The other way that he'll, he'll do it is through conflict. Conflict is interpersonal. He will use the people in your life who are sinners, who are fallen, and who usually have rough edges, because we all do. He will use those people and he will he will begin to bring those people to bear in your life in such a manner that Pharaoh begins to feel the pressure. That the control inside of you just reaches this boiling point where it's like, I die. I just let go. And, you know, for a lot of people, it feels like the end of the world. But it's actually the beginning of Yeshua's world. It's the beginning of a new world for you, of freedom and of real life and of shalom. So, um... Just remember that. You know, for us here, as we have new believers into our midst, just remember, the Father will send the cross into your life either through personal crisis or through interpersonal conflict. And um, it's kind of like, let's, let's just talk about the interpersonal conflict one because we're a community here. Um, how do you respond to that when there's interpersonal conflict? You know, Yeshua said there's some stuff to do. You go to the person, you try, and, you try and resolve it, right? If you need to, you bring a couple more people in and you work for reconciliation and resolution. That's what Yeshua said, how we deal as siblings in the faith with um, interpersonal conflict, right? So of course we do that. But here are some of the responses that the old person in us are going to have. The f one of the first responses we'll have is to run. Don't run because you're running from the cross instead of taking it up. Um, you may have the response of negotiating, trying to worm your way out of it somehow, um, or maybe blaming, pointing fingers, fighting, those kind of responses, that's the old person. Sometimes you have to just say, I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna let go, and I'm gonna let the Father apply the cross to the old, to like the control freak in me, the old person. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let him kill that, I'm gonna die. And, um, the beautiful thing is, like, when we let go, when we let him kill Pharaoh inside each one of us, when we lose our little kingdoms, we'll all of a sudden find our eyes opening to his kingdom. And it's a new world. Yeah. And that, that's the, that is a journey. That's a journey we're all on, eh? And there are going to be times when I am going to be, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be down for the count. 
Because when I experience the cross, I hate it, right? I just, I do not deal well with the cross. It's like, I just lose it, or I get mad, or I get really discouraged, and I wallow. And seriously, like, I need you guys. I need my wife more than anybody at those times to encourage me and to be like, you know what? He's breaking something in you, and it's a good thing. You're going to make it. Don't lose your faith. You know, it's the cross. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. That's why you're going through this. You know, so um, let's be there for each other as family and as a, as a community as we experience those times. And let's like, let's warn new believers that they're going to experience and it's going to be a good thing. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.